Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I'm Marshall. That's Nick. You can find us at the HyperClean Specialist Group on Facebook. Or if you want to hear all the fun discussions we have before the episode, you can watch us at the Facebook page, HyperClean Store. Where, you know, good times happen there, too, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> or we talk about internet connection at HQ. <laughs> All right. I'm buying and selling. Listen, I'm going to buy, and I, I'm going, I get it. Call it cheesy. Call it whatever you want. It just feels really, really good when you have that moment and you go, huh, thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. And that's that's what I'm buying. I'm buying that. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate that. And that's to everybody inside of community. That is referring us to all the places that are calling in and asking about how they can become a hyper clean distributor. It just feels really great when they go, yeah, we, I just, this week we had another guy come in and ask about hyper clean and yep. they just had to go onto the website, fill out the form. And then I get to have that discussion with them and just thank you. Like it feels really yeah, great. It's been nuts. Yeah. It's awesome. It, it just, thank you. Like I'm buying, yeah, like yeah, I'm in. And, and you know, the thing is we talked to a lot of, different company owners representatives you know name the company tools pads chemicals whatever not been so glowing for six eight months and so to have all these people all of you listening go into local shops go into local detail supplies go into these local places you yourself thinking hey man it's time for me to take the next step it has been pretty humbling because I mean, the amount of stuff that, that went on in the last year and, and, and you know what, we're about a month, a year and a half into this detail or, uh, distribution mm, yeah. to see where we're at now is, it's been, like you said, it's a great time to say thanks for sure. Well, my buy and sell yeah. look, it's electric today. Oh yeah. I'm going to put this in the hyper clean specialist group on Facebook. I've sent Marty the picture. Nick doesn't like electric vehicles? Really? (laughs) Wow. No. Yeah, no. I like them. I don't know how many times i got to say that. But the electric factory that is people parking at Mm. said place, okay, whatever that is. This happened to be at the store. I sent it. I'll post it in the specialist group for all that want to take a look. I think it's a Ford Fusion. Just, you know, at the grocery store, you know those pickup lines they have now with the signs? Pick up line six, pick up line eight, whatever. This guy just came in reckless abandon and took it out. He was so pumped Done. to be there, he just yeah. ran right over it. And by the way, didn't back out and straighten up. Didn't back out and go into another lane so the person didn't think he didn't take the parking sign down. Just flat out stood in his, just stayed in his car, windows up, jamming, waiting for the guy to come help him. I got to tell you, I'm buying it because you're buying that. I don't give a fuck. Dude, it's it's wild. Like, and people will see my shadow in the picture. I took that picture with that person sitting in the car because I wanted the person to get out. I was like, I got to hear what this guy has to say about why he just ran this thing over and just stayed there with all the sensors in cars, with all the beeping, with all the everything that goes on. How do you hit the pole, knock it over completely flat? It's not bent. It's down. Then not be embarrassed enough to back out, get into another one and act like you didn't do it. Nope. Put that thing in park and rock it out. I got to buy that kind of confidence. Nick, he was calling his insurance company, man. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Jeez. He'll be on break. hold for a while. Yeah. Cut the guy a break. No, I listen. I think some of the most interesting parts talking about electric stuff is as we were out back out this weekend, right? So it's always fun to go shopping on the weekend. Woo. But listen, I had to get a coffee maker. I've used the same coffee maker over and over for like 10 years. Now I'll get a new model, right? Like, cause they do yeah, go yeah. out, but I just always buy the same exact one. Never thought about it. I'll get to that here in a second. But the craziness about the electric stuff is how much inside of the shopping centers, they're starting to take up more and more room of yeah. parking, which we already hate parking at shopping centers anyway, besides you, Nick. I know you don't go shopping at all. You're the anti-shopping <laughs> guy. But everybody else has to struggle through parking anyway. And now it's not only the electric stuff that's starting to all go in, but you're right. It's just even the app, right? All these pickup places are now gone. I understand this dude's frustration. He's saying, fuck it. You couldn't find a spot earlier. You can't find them now because there's at least 20 of them prime row parking right in front of every yeah. place. That's this pickup number or whatever. And it's like, and have you, have you noticed how much space they have? Mm, They're always so the most spacious places too. It's like, why isn't the whole lot like this? So I don't get door dinged to death. Like, yeah, people are going to be shocked. So it's been happening out here, you know, because Tesla is obviously a West Coast company. The amount of electric charging out here, I think would shock a lot of people when you really look around. Wait until it starts to get through the rest of the United States. I don't think people have ever seen it the way we saw it out here first, right? Meaning from California, then to Nevada yeah, yeah. and Arizona mm -hmm. and all those things. Like, again, I have to repeat this. Love electric cars. I enjoy driving them. Nick, why okay? do you hate electric cars? I know. People get so crazy. They're like, oh, I have this electric. Dude, you bought it. I mean, if you like it, what's the case? But I do like electric cars. Uh, I still think it's wild. They're just going to shut people's AC off in the middle of the summer. That's yeah. gangster. Yeah. What a gangster move that is. You know gangster. what? You missed a payment. AC off. <laughs> Dude, you'd be, you'd be, in, you would be on fire in Las Vegas. 115, no AC in your electric car. Dude, you would be roasting. Yeah, nice victory lap, by the way. Nice victory lap yeah. for everybody. I mean, uh, I haven't know, listened to Saturday's. You guys episode. haven't listened to Saturday's episode. They don't give you such a large head just for a small brain, there, Marty. So I always tell my dad when he asks why my head's so big, <laughs> like, "Well, you got to put put a big brain." I mean, I don't have a lot of intelligence, I can tell you, but uh, yeah, no, it's it was it was cool, and like I said, it's it's wild to see a company say, "Yeah, we filed for this patent that makes all kinds of sense for what our CEO said, but we promise we're not going to use it." <laughs> I want to be a PR person. They're like weather people. They don't have to ever be right. No, ever. Uh, what definitely wasn't right was me inside of Target trying to figure out what coffee machine to get now because the one that I get every time is done. I guess everybody else got, listen, I was buying them every year because it just always went out. But I'm the guy that just that keeps going coffee? back and buying it because I know that machine. I know what it does, and it's fine. I just go back every year and get another one. Well, it was time. Maybe this one lasted a little over a year. It was time to get another one. It was gone. Then you go, wow, I got to start picking out how to choose a coffee machine. Holy shit. The transformation that's gone from just a pot to everything in between. Let's not even talk about the Keurig. We're not going there. That's not making coffee. That's something else. Like, Everything in between, you can do so much stuff. Listen, it was crazy there. And then I'm sitting there scrolling through my phone. 
here's where I really want to get into transformation. I saw a transformation picture of Conor McGregor when he first got in to now, and you go, holy crap, right? Yeah, gear is a special thing, isn't it? Woo. So yeah. I gotta know you're you're the you're the guy that that's in the know more than I do yeah. because really yeah. what everybody's talking about with Connor is is he gonna be fighting again? Like, are we gonna oh, yeah. see him this year? So he he's gonna be a coach on the Ultimate Fighter, and for those that don't know, like maybe like a block away from my shop, people don't realize where that used to be filmed. It was filmed in a warehouse, like what my shop is. So I've actually been to the Ultimate Fighter like when it was filmed back in the day, way back in the day. Forrest Griffin, Stefan Bonner, those type of days. So, and I'll tell you this, you know, we had a big fight week this week. John Jones was in town. So, oh, yeah. you know, we're, I'm around that world for those that don't know. It was mania for my guys on Friday. Like we were balls to the wall. Everybody's here for fight week, you know, crazy. Conor McGregor, he's coming back, man. I mean, he's, He's been saucy, you know, for those that don't know, it looks like, and again, allegedly, maybe he took some, some, some performance enhancing drugs when he wasn't being tested. He's massive. Uh, you know, we, we, we are around that world. And I would say this weekend, Connor coming back, John Jones is supposed to fight again, maybe like June or July, Stipe, uh, the all time greatest heavyweight. And I got to tell you, man, I think the next, six, eight months, UFC is going to be massive. And it's, I mean, look, Connor's going to be the driving force, but the fact that John Jones is back and just had a massive win over the weekend. Plus you got this kid, Bo Nickel, who uh, was one of the all time wrestlers coming out of Penn state. He had another great fight this weekend. I, I do name. think with Bo Nickel. Like, yeah, it seems like he it seems like he beat up kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, right? Like hundred like, percent. <laughs> like, and he is an absolute animal. So yeah, I think this is you know, look, it's a, it's a sport that I've been involved in for a long time. And I will tell you that year to year, they've had a, a tough year as far as they didn't have a lot of star power, but they still did great. I think this year is going to just knock it out of the park. Do you bet for or against Connor? Well, or have you Connor gone was both the, ways? When, when, when Connor's on the right, when Connor was on the way up, he was, you got to bet him. He, as he got older, he got more money. And there's this old thing in fighting, you know, when you're, when you're sleeping in silk sheets, it's hard to get up and run the miles. It's hard, you know, I think that's uh Hagler that said that or Hearns. Um, but at the end of the day, I think he just has so much, people don't realize how much money the guy has. I mean, he sold his whiskey company. He did all these types of things. I would love to see old Connor. It's man. He's got so much money. It's tough to be that guy anymore. I mean, I, I would think that we're seeing the downfall of Connor with these last few fights, but I don't know, man, I believe anything for a guy that was as talented as him. See flight. Does he fight Floyd? We're going to see another Floyd fight. No, I don't think so because you know, that was kind of a one and done thing, but Floyd's been out there more. And, uh, you know, Floyd used to live in my neighborhood. I don't know if, I don't know if I've ever told this story on a podcast. Hmm. So Floyd lived in my neighborhood and, you know, he's a legendary runner. So he'd go to the nightclub and then he'd run home from the nightclub. He never drank, never did drugs, anything. So he would just run miles and he just ran around our neighborhood and he had like, there'd be like a Bentley, a Rolls Royce and an Escalade following him everywhere. So he wouldn't get hit by a car, obviously. Uh, but he'd run at like two in the morning, whatever homeowner association just went berserk. Oh, you can't do this. Blah, blah, blah. 
And, uh, yeah, we sold that house, but yeah, he used to run through our neighborhood, dude, that guy, for one, one thing people don't realize about Floyd is he was an all time gym rat, like always stayed in shape, you know, and his gym is, is about a block away from here as well. So I'm right in like that, that area where, where all this stuff goes down. So yeah, it's so Nick, where's the excuses, man. What happened? Yeah. I mean, it's so close, you know, I I think it has to do with, I just don't have any talent. I didn't have any talent. So (laughs) You know, that's, that's what it comes down to, but yeah, no, man, I, I I'm, I'm really excited this week. I've been around the biggest fights. Uh, this week was, was that feeling again? So I think it's going to be an awesome year. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned skills. There's a skill that seems to be, well, we'll get, we'll talk about it and it's, it's interesting transformation, right? Thinking about that, but also a skills that are going away skill set that you had long time ago. Not sure if you still have the skill set of a rotary. We're not sure, but I had rough. a guy last week. I tell me, he goes, I need to get a rotary. And I go, huh? Why? Why do you need to get a rotary? Like most interesting thing that I never thought I would hear a young detailer say today, I need to get a rotary. Yeah. We've seen a skill come back. I mean, there's no doubt there's more guys, uh, you know, promoting the rotary, uh, the rotary is a great tool. It's still the best cutting tool. And if you know how to use it, probably the best finishing tool. It's those in-between steps where rotary becomes a little tough, you know, as would, we, we learn the skill. Would you do a one step with a rotary? Man, that's, that's, that's an incredible mm-hmm. talent. That was more like glazing cars back in the day. That was your <laughs> one step. Let me go ahead and fill in some scratches. No, of, that's, of course that's why my I mean, answer was going to be yes. Like, hell yeah. Let me go ahead and glaze this car up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it definitely has made a comeback. I don't know where I come out on it. When it's properly taught, it can be highly efficient, you know, to go and do a cutting stage. There's nothing more efficient than that. But a lot of guys end up having to do three steps to get that out to the level where now you have so many good DA options that when you're talking about efficiency and what most customers want, and look, we've been pretty honest on this podcast that I think the days of two-step people are, are, are not seeing, they are technically seeing what's happening. They're like, Oh, look how little paints on this car, but it's not registering to them that, that this could be the end of, of, of responsible two-stage correction. But I don't know, man, with so many options, especially one step and as good, how many customers really want to pay what they have to pay to to take that on? I don't see that really making a broad comeback. It'll certainly always fit certain type of clientele, but if you know how to teach it and you know how to do it, you can two-step cars and be more efficient on your cutting stage, but how many new cars are going to be expecting that type of, of dollar amount that it costs to do two and three steps, I think is, is pretty limited these days. Well, take the dollar stuff away. You, you said something there that I I agree. I don't think people are registering yet. It's interesting to see inside the hyperclean specialist group, people starting to show more and more. And I get it. There's other groups that they do too, but I know specifically in the group that I'm active in that I watch, we're seeing more people put, Hey, here's a, a brand new vehicle. And I don't remember seeing that happen in the other groups until you started saying it a little over a year ago, warning people about what's going to happen. Here's the interesting aspect when you start thinking about with 
where the little amount of clear coat is. And as we all know, it's not ever going to go back, right? The, the, the manufacturers, if they're seeing us add more to clear coat to help enforce it, why would they ever want to add more back to themselves? Well, they've, ne- so, well, they've never, they've never gotten, they've never gone backwards ever yeah. on this. I mean, we, we started out in the eight mil, then six mil, then four mil, then now we're in the twos. It, it, is that right? Is that ultimately, I, I don't want to say the nail for the coffin, but at least a nail that starts to hang up the cross, right? Like it's, it's, it's crazy to think of how many people have over the years been so into their skill set of paint correction and this kid going, Hey, I need to get a rotary. And you just go, why? Like, I, I mean, the writing on the wall is actually that there won't be, I mean, that's going to be so few people that will, that will, it's almost like you are going to the word specialist as you go to a family care doctor, then you're going to have to go to a specialist for something else. Like it could literally end up be a true half of 1% of anybody in the industry actually does that type of work simply because there's not enough clear code on the cars for people to do it. Yeah, no. And, and, and again, I'm never going to tell guys not to learn it. You know, you, you should learn how rotary will make you a better polisher with a DA. I think you and I've seen that when we've trained people, if they know how to operate a a rotary, it's very easy to transition them into being a great DA type polisher, but we have not been very upfront in the industry about the fact that we're probably polishing less cars today than we've ever polished because most of the car, the volume and polishing was coming from wholesalers. It was coming from the auction world and it was coming from the dealership world from a numbers perspective. The retail client was never pushing the market on paint polishing. It was always the volume work where most of that stuff was going on, meaning the numbers that's where the most cars were being polished. We know a lot of guys active in the auction world, even people that supply that world, their polish and compound sales are down drastically in the last five years, 10 years. They talk about it openly when you know the people to talk to, right? And so that, we that, don't have to it, guess what's happening. No, you, can, you can't, and you don't have to, because you could actually see in a, a way to follow the, the little trail or the nuggets in a sense would be, look at the way that compounds have changed over the years. Look at the way tools have changed as the industry has tried to push away from that style. They have tried to adapt tools and products to meet more generalized. Yeah. And, and look, it all kind of started with the Meguiar's D 300 microfiber cutting pad system, right? That's kind of where the world changed. Now there's a bunch of companies that have improved upon that and taken that technology and made it better. But again, we need to recognize that, it's always going to be a skill that, you know, car comes in, it needs to look better. We need to do some type of compounding or polishing, whatever level that may be. But just from a numbers perspective, we don't have to guess. We know the people that are in that massive compound and polishing world, and they'll tell you right out. Auctions not doing it as much. Dealerships are certainly not refurbishing cars to the level that when we got into business, when I was in the business, 98 to probably 2008 every wholesaler every dealership they would buy a car it was getting polished 
every dealership in Tulsa was polishing cars. Now until, until eh, cash for clunkers. That's why I always say, <laughs> I think it was cash for clunkers that changed so much the way the dealership ran, which then you're going to see some offsets like this, which cause a change in our industry. Yeah. But I think you're right about that, but let's add another one. When supply and demand became an issue the last three years and dealerships knew they could send out rims that were road rash. They didn't vacuum cars. They didn't even have to spruce them up because somebody was going to buy it. That put the nail in the coffin, right? Because many dealerships here locally, I can tell you have just gotten out of the refurbished business and they used to a lot, $1,500 a car pretty much was a standard across the industry in just refurbishment. That could be wheels. That could be the paint. That could be an interior. They had $1,500 baked in. When we started looking for cars during the pandemic for our family, I can tell you dealership after dealership, high end, especially they're out They're They're not going to do that anymore. Now, if they go back, if the world gets more competitive, if supply starts to get out of control, like we're so used to, Maybe we see it come back. But again, in the car business, they very rarely go back to spending more money. And especially at the dealership auction level, if they've cut out that $1,500 in refurbishment, I don't think we'll see it come back. That's a, it's a massive change to the way, you know, the next 10 years it will then be for our industry. There's no doubt about it. Like I, I imagine what people that are listening that have put everything into this skill set of I want to be this perfectionist and in, inside of paint. Listen, we, well, let me ask you a question though. We have seen early signs of the recession hitting certain types of people. What is the person that you've talked to the most that you've had a text message or a DM or an email who has been the hardest hit Marty? Yeah. The, the, that paint correction guy, the paint correction. And I want to do this lifetime long-term coding. Yeah. Those two guys. Those are the guys that have been hammered. And and again, maybe not all of them, obviously we're not saying that, but the early signs, uh, because the recession really isn't here. You know, you have the stock market still elevated. You have a lot of things that historically would tell you there's a massive downturn. We haven't seen that yet. So being at the tip of the iceberg on a recession and seeing so many guys that we've been talking to or whatever, having troubles, they all have one thing in common. They're heavily invested in paint correction and long-term, like, you know, seven plus year coatings. And I don't want to see that, but you also have to, you, you can't always fight the world, you know? And I think that's what goes on in our industry. You know, why don't people want this? Why don't people do this? People should listen to me. People should understand. Yeah, man, I get it. You know, we see swirled paint. We see this. We know they should get it glossed up a little bit, even a one step. The consumer doesn't see that. And and especially when their money gets tight, do you think paint polishing ranks up there as groceries and electric is going through the roof and all this stuff? Hey, let me get my car polished. Now, again, like you said, that half a percent, that 1% car owner, yeah, man, they're not going to be hit. They're going to go ahead and keep doing the things that they want to do. But the other 99% are going to be hit in some form or fashion. And, and it seems that paint correction has been the first one hit. So do we see a transformation of the paint correction guy? Like or or do we see do we see just that becoming the the full service of car washing? Like well, I there think, are still think, people can see I think, we see have seen it. I think people, the smart guys have already gone to one step. The smart guys have already gone to complete one step, 
you know, very rarely doing two-step. We got guys in our network that still do a lot of paint correction. It's mostly one-step. Uh, they're doing using, you know, more modern technology to get an excellent result, 50, 60, 70, 80% of defects removed, that we have seen the right people make a change. That doesn't mean everybody's made the change. And this is where that, that those two words, paying attention, become so important. Uh, you know, to what we do in business and what we do in our business, especially the ebbs and flows of, of the economy affect our business probably more than most, right? You're not going to get rid of, uh, you know, let's say something like your landscaper because your grass is growing and you need it cut. Uh, but you are going to start limiting your interaction with an auto detailer. You know, you're not going to go do a $2,500 correction and coating or those types of things. Uh, it gets cut very easily. But I do think we've seen people make the adjustment. Not everybody, but we've seen a lot of successful people move to the one-step model. It's tough, though. I think for a lot of us, when we are, we we think that our skill set is very valuable, right? And it's just something that you and I have said. Like, it, where does value then be determined in the market? Where who determines what should be done? Is that the detailer? Is that the customer? Here lies some of some of that quandary and some of that issue, because when you, you know, you start to look across the industry, that gets confusing. And when you start looking at it from a customer's perspective, it might get confusing. And here's the other dichotomy that you and I have found to be pretty interesting is now customers starting to tell us things that need to be done. I understand that you have this skill set, but, hmm, right? Here's what I want done. And here's the price I'm going to pay for it. That's the other interesting thing that seems to be coming out. Yeah, we, you know, I, I specifically talked to a guy, he'll know who he is when he listens that that he asked a specific question, like, when did things change? He's getting more and more conversation around a customer picks up the phone and says, I need this, this and this, and it should cost this. Right? It's not anymore just price shopping. It's now I'm telling you everything I need. I know what your costs are. I know. And this kind of comes from the misinformation on the internet, you know, mm -hmm. where somebody watches a YouTube channel and they go, oh, I watched so-and-so and he said he paid this. Well, if you actually watch reputable people on the internet, they never said that. So now you're watching somebody who really doesn't know what they talk, they're talking about, give the customer advice. And by the way, this happens with people who quote unquote, a lot of guys respect in the industry. This happens with outsiders. It ha happens with a lot of people. So yeah, the misinformation on the internet is now starting to hit detailers where somebody's calling and demanding a certain price, demanding certain services and acting as if they know what they're talking about when largely they don't. They just watched a YouTube video and they're completely wrong on what's supposed to go on. So it has been a fascinating thing that guys have shared with us I've certainly experienced, I, I just shared with you, had a guy with a Rivian call, you know, email in and, and basically say he wants all these services and basically got the whole email wrong and then asked me for a deal that the customer has changed, not all of them, but a certain percentage of them have gone to this model of, I know everything. Here's what I need. I know what it should cost. Do they? Very small percentage are that educated to really write those emails or make those phone calls, yet they're happening more and more. Yeah, they are. Is it is it the credible information that's being put out by the people that are doing this is this is becomes the the juggle back and forth, right? Like 
yeah, I, I don't know why these people are blowing me up and telling me all this. Uh, are they been watching somebody? Have they been doing this? Then it becomes viable of we start to go, well, what is credible information out there? What <laughs> do I need to start then putting out more credible? I guess that means I, as a local guy, should start putting out as much as I possibly can. Or should but I just, but it's what? a hard game though. Right? It's so that's hard, a, right? That's like, a hard game because then they have to, that particular person has to find you. Yep. Also understand everything you're saying to a T, which they don't. And and they shouldn't, by the way, they're an accountant or they're a lawyer or they're a plumber. They're not, they're not a detailing guy. Right. So they're only going to understand so much. It doesn't matter how good your content is. The weird thing is we've just seen the the old school call you and I used to get and still get probably is I just need a good buff, right? It That guy's just transformed into now I'm going to tell you everything I need, everything that, that has to go on my car. And largely, you know, we've stated how bad the information can get on the internet and they're probably getting pretty poor information to start out with. So now you got to fight tooth and nail to unwind their brain in the wrong direction and wind it in the right direction. It's, it's a huge modern problem that you're going to have as a D and it's not going anywhere. It's, it's just going to grow. All right. So to put it into perspective, this is, and it comes out of, this would be an interesting thing to talk about. And, and one of these comes out of the hyper clean specialist group. And to put it into perspective is you have a guy there, uh, Timothy, Curious about, and this is a thing that a lot of detailers, a lot of us all want to know. And so this is why it's a great perspective. How do I find out if I should be doing PPF, right? Go take a look around and can you find credible information as a detailer to doing PPF? Because most people are going to say, I get phone calls uh, for PPF. I don't do PPF. I need to do PPF, but yep. Nick, you've got an interesting perspective on it. Yeah, no, it, it's, you know, PPF has grown a lot in 10 years. I mean, you got massively publicly traded companies that are PPF companies. You know, we don't have a lot of massive, you know, chemical companies that are publicly traded. So PPF is a, is a force to be reckoned with. And, and honestly, the la the growth in the last 10 years has, has been mad. I mean, just it's undeniable getting a phone call about PPF is one thing, getting a viable phone call of somebody that's going to pay 1900, $2,500, $3,500 for installation is a whole different animal. All right. right so, so hold on a second there, because that was basically your answer inside of the specialist group. When this question was asked, that was your answer was, Hey, you're getting phone calls, but I mean, let's really break it down. Are they viable, credible phone calls? Or are they just people that are kicking tires? And that's yep. something that people don't say and they don't think about it. Like, sure, you're getting phone calls, but what percentage of them will you actually be able to close? Yeah, and again, when you, when you got somebody on the phone, if you want to know and you don't install PPF, and maybe you can partner with somebody in your area that, that is a PPF installer to try this out, Start giving people $2,500 tickets. See if you can close them. Because if you can close them, then go figure out, hey, I know that this guy, I can sub this work out for a little while and monitor the work and get a feeling for it. That would be my start, right? My start would be there. 
because I'd really want to answer the question of, do I have people calling me, like you say, old school term, tire kicking, or do I have people that are like, let's spend 2,500 bucks right now? Two different people. Because many detailers complain that when they give an $800 coding ticket to somebody, they just walk away. Well, nobody's going to pay $1,000 for a one step in a three year in my area. Okay, so they're magically going to pay $2,500 or $3,500 for a PPF installation. If that's the case, then you got to run in full bore and go, hey, man, I got a business opportunity here. Like, I need to really invest in this business opportunity. But PPF, much like Tint, is not a short term game because there's a learning curve, there's a skills acquisition, there's a money invested at, you know, reality. There's a time investment reality that it's a great business if you do everything properly from the get-go. But we've heard for 10 years, 20 years of my career, doing it the wrong way, not going in with enough money, not realizing how expensive it is to get into properly. And then all those calls magically, those people didn't want to spend $2,500. And so now you, you've invested all this money, you've done all these things, you get to the end of the road and you go, oh, no, people in my area won't pay what they need to pay for me to make money at this. I, I think some people, they get these phone calls and they go, hey, and, and overall, it comes down to just a, a point of I've got a business. I'm operating it. I think there's another way to make some more money. We call these revenue streams, right? It yep. comes down to basically just deciding is this revenue and this revenue stream going to be viable for long-term creating a river, right? We don't want just a trickled stream that happens every once in a while. So you can say that for PPF, you can say it for tent, you can say it for multiple things inside of our business that it might happen. Yeah, you, can say it for, you can say it for coding. You can say it for coding. Say it for correction. Yeah, you can say it for everything, right? You like I like your terminology, a river. You know, I've gotten 10 phone calls for this service. Well, if that's the last 10 calls you ever got, there is no river, right? But, but Timothy had such a great question because he's, he's, he's trying to gather information before making a jump. And this is, this is where you get into the facts of business. Are you listening to the right people? Are you gathering the right information? Are you seeing what you think you're seeing? And at some point you just got to jump, right? I mean, we all just jump anyway, right? At some point you're going to make the jump. If your eyes are wide open, you have a better chance of having success at this than if you just go in and say, there's a ton of money in this. And then all of a sudden you look up two years later and you're out of business. I mean, we've seen guys go the vinyl wrap route. They're probably the most notorious for jumping in and going out of business and those types of things. And that's a much easier skill, in my opinion, than PPF. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's easier and it's more moldable. It's, it's much easier to work with once you understand it. But we watch guys all the time, like you say, I think there's revenue there. I jump in and there's no river of money coming after that. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what business, if you're doing a correction and coding business, if you're doing a maintenance business, if you're doing a PPF business, it's all going to be about how many people you can get to buy into what you're doing. And they got to pay the ticket that makes sense of you running that part of your business. That, that's what all this comes down to. And I don't think there's a ton of credible information in the PPF world, just like I don't think there's a ton of credit, credibility in the ceramic coding world. There's just not a lot of credible people talking. 
day in and day out and informing people of the challenges and how to have success. And so you got to be lucky enough to find those people. That's a pretty big ask. So you mentioned earlier about the the people that we're seeing, you know, early leave, right? Just in the, the entry parts of the recession, just as there's starting to be some of those tough times, unless none of us like tough times. And we, we all take a little moment when we see some people that go out and it's, you know, if, if people that I've known that have gone through sometimes, or we've seen something, we always try to pick up the phone and, and give them a call. You know, we, we don't like, like to know why or what happens or what's going on. The interesting aspect and, and seeing it, I listen, there was a guy I met uh, years and years ago when I was doing trainings and going around and, and teaching people how to use at that time, you know, what is now referred to as hyperclean uno dose and trade, right? Our ceramic coatings. There was a guy that I met, man. I was, I told you about him when I, you know, early when you first came on, it was a guy that really stuck out to me because he walked in confident and he walked in with a fucking case of beer. Right. So I automatically, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I like this guy. Right. So he yep. walks in, he's got a six pack. We're just doing this, you know, before the training type of get to know you the night before where he was just all come in and, <laughs> I just go, man, I like this guy. Get to know him. He's a super smart guy. Does a lot of stuff. I, I just constantly keep watching him, keep an eye out for him. He grows and grows and grows. But now he's out. Like yeah. other guys, suddenly they're they're out. And it's not just out of their business, and it's not so much a business talk, right? Like they are out and they leave the industry altogether. Yeah, that's a big travesty in detailing, isn't it? I mean, we don't talk about this enough, but you know, we have a distributor on the East Coast, Brian. Him and I had a conversation about this and and you know, he's baffled by it because he's been a long-time detailer and a long-time business owner and he's offering a lot of money to detailers who are failing. Hey, come in, we got a job for you, paying a ton of money, 401k, insurance, all those types of things. There is something weird that goes on that, that when a detailer's business folds, they, in the history of my business, in, in my, the history I have in this business, they always seem to leave detailing. It's the, it's the biggest talent suck in this industry is guys that couldn't make it in business for whatever reason, they just leave auto detailing. They don't, they don't go work for somebody and make a good living and they don't, I'm not, I, you know, I, I, Brian and I talked about this and he'll say the same thing. I still don't know why that happens. Yeah. I was going to say, why I do can't you answer think- the, I, I, I have, there, there's a lot of speculation and I can say my speculations exactly the same as Brian's would be, or probably yours is, which is people can't see themselves failing in their business and then going back to work for someone else mm-hmm. in the business. Mm-hmm. And we all have pride. You know, I think it's a big part of it. I I think I've looked at working for people. You know, I worked for people in this industry long before I was an owner. I never looked at it negatively. I, I made a lot of money. I, I I had a great time. I met great people. Not to say working for somebody is the greatest thing I ever did, but I always work for good people. And if this all failed on me tomorrow, I wouldn't flush my skills down the toilet. I, I would find something to do. Uh, and that would probably be, you know, going and working for a high-end shop that was running and 
could utilize my skill and pay me really well. And I don't know, we, we, we don't talk about this enough in auto detailing, especially on the professional side of things, why so many people feel they need to become an owner. And then when that isn't really their calling, so to speak, it's not what they're good at, why they take their paint correction skills, their coding skills, their PPF skills, their tent skills. This happens in tent a lot as well, where guys just flush a skill set down the toilet as if it's no big deal, but yet they, they made their claim for years that this is how skillful I am. And then to just flush their skill down the toilet is a really head scratching thing, but I'll put this back on you. I think it's a lot of how people are quote unquote trained in the industry. You know, when you go to a ceramic coating training or you go to a five day training or a three day training for most people, they're talking to you as if you're going to be a business owner, not that you're there acquiring skills. And it's hard to reverse somebody's like that customer that is telling you he knows everything. You got to reverse their mindset. I think it's really tough to reverse the mindset of the industry to be skills acquisition rather than I'm going to do this to go make all this money as an owner. And I think that's been a huge detriment. This is why I have the conversation about something like the IDA or anything like that. If you want to make this thing about skills, you got to stop talking about business ownership because welders don't talk about business ownership when they're an apprentice. They don't talk about that stuff. So you want to make all these references to mechanics and all this different stuff. Let me be clear. They don't talk to you at, at mechanic school when you're getting certified about how to run a garage. They're talking about you being a mechanic. And so I think that's the culprit of the beginning of this issue. Pride is the number one thing, but the beginning parts of it is in this industry and the professional side of things, we talk about it from an owner's perspective. And once you do that in a training protocol over and over and over again, you can look at the marketing of ceramic coatings. Oh, if you use our ceramic coatings, you can do a $2,500, you know, ceramic coating. Well, they're not saying that you're going to get paid $2,500 to go to somebody's shop and put a coating on. Where are they saying that from? They're saying it from an owner's perspective. So I, I think that's right up there, 1A, 1B of pride is also how everybody's being talked to as, oh, yeah, just go do this on your own. Okay, man. It, it's really difficult. And maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's not for me. This isn't a judgment on anyone else. You don't know if business ownership is, <laughs> if you're good at it until you're in the thick of it, right? I didn't know if I was going to be a good business owner. And for a lot large part of my beginning, I wasn't a great business owner, Right. And I think that's that's the crux of this, man, is that it is sad how many guys just leave the industry. Yeah, and I, I think they leave. Listen, I think there's overall, you're, you're right. And if, and if I, you know, if something happened here, God forbid, right, we'd do the same thing. We'd take our moment. We'd be like, God damn it. And then would I stay in the industry? Pride would be the difficult part, right? If, you, if you've talked so publicly about business and, and doing what is right, or, you know, you talk about something and then it doesn't work out. I definitely understand that, why they would leave based on pride. Like sure. it would be difficult, but, you know, there's also that theory that some people say you, you just need to find something you love to do every day and just keep doing it. So if I love the car care industry, 
why would I go into, I, I should just love my, what I do and try and do it every day. And, you know, listen, if, if I can't do the exact same thing every day, at least I'm around something I really love. And for some reason, I love cars. For some reason, yep. I, I love cars getting cleaned. I, I love watching yep. cars get cleaned. Like, I don't yep. know why I just do. And so it, it does make sense for, for me to stay in it. I don't think people stay in or I think one part of why some people don't do it. Listen, I think there's also something that we don't want to talk about because it's not, it's, it's not fun to talk about, but so few, so few of us trust each other. You, you don't trust the other detailer down the street. You don't trust the other guy. Uh, you, you don't trust the car wash. You don't trust the mechanic. There's, there's something about car care that there's just always this underlying reason that people don't trust people in car care. You can't yep. say that about other industries. Now, of course you can say a couple, but you can't say that about the travel industry. Oh, I don't trust that hotel. What happens? The hotel goes out of business, but yeah. <laughs> we say that about car dealerships all the time. I don't trust car dealerships. You don't get on a plane going, Oh, I don't trust American airlines. But there's some reason inside of car care, we don't trust anybody, but yet we're still around it. Like, yeah. I, I think that's Good ultimately point. why people leave is they go, yeah, I just had to get out. Like, I did just had enough. Like, just had yep. enough. And I think it's ultimately because so few people trust. They don't actually have a, a full community. They don't have yeah. something like you and I've talked about where you, you create this network around you of people that are like-minded. They, they want to put themselves on an Island. They, they want to know it all themselves. They want to do what they want and they don't actually but come around others. They don't. It, it's yeah. That's a good point. Could it also be that when you take the know-it-all approach, you think everybody else is beneath you. Well, mm -hmm. I'm not going to go work for that guy. That's highly successful yeah. running that shop over there. Cause I know more than him and I can't believe he's making more money than me. Is that where the, the trust problem starts is I've always had a view that if somebody's shop is successful, great. You know, I, I don't, I don't wish that somebody's shop isn't successful. Even the ones around me, I don't want to see people not successful. It hurts our industry as a whole. It hurts cars as a whole. It hurts the car business as a whole. You know, when I look at dealerships, the reason I get upset with dealerships is not because they've ever ripped me off. It's because they kind of give a bad name to cars, right? And that's hard to get over where I kind of look at it and go, man, there's reputable people in everything in this world. There's, I mean, there's reputable drug dealers. I mean, there's just reputable people doing something in car care. You just, you having it in your brain kind of, you know, piggybacking on what you say is a trust issue. Largely that comes from internal, right? You think everybody's out to get you, man, that's a lonely place. Uh, it really is. And I think a lot of guys do find themselves in that position. You can see this in Facebook groups, right? The the one upping that goes on and why I'm right. I use this cleaner and I'm the best in my area and I can't believe the work I'm seeing. Yeah, man, I look around Vegas and I look at some people and I go, man, that work shouldn't be going out. But they charge somebody and maybe that person's happy. I think the trust issue that you were talking about comes more internal than it is facts of the information. There's reputable shops in Tulsa. You could name two or three of them right now. That if you went and worked for them, you'd have a good life. The owner would pay you well. You'd work on cool cars. 
that that guy runs a good business. You know what I mean? There's, so where does a, it come from? There's a few. I think it. I mean, like I said, I think the root is the overall car care industry. There's something around cars that we don't trust. We don't trust people around cars. There maybe are a few, but if I think of the dental industry, I would imagine I'm just going to trust more dentists than somebody that's anywhere inside the car care industry. And that could be a salesman, an owner of a car dealership. It could be the local mechanic. It could, that's I also because you don't, but hold on. That's because you and I don't have knowledge of those things. Yes. On the outside, true. they yeah. look more credible. But this is kind of where auto detailing and auto detailing professionals get offline. This idea that we're going through all these problems that other industries aren't going through, that's the root of a, of a, of a silly way to look at it. Every industry is dealing with the same stuff on some level, somewhere. There's some dentist doing too many root canals. There's somebody, you know what I mean? There, it, this stuff's happening everywhere. And that's what I mean by it's more internal. If you want to look at the world as everybody's doing the wrong thing, I got to tell you, man, that's, that's a, and I think you're probably right on this, that this is part of the equation. I can tell you, I work for people in this industry and I had a great time working for them. Doesn't mean I agreed with everything they did, but they didn't do too many egregious things that I was like, what are they doing? Because I just looked at it as I'm being hired to do this. This is what they asked me to do. This is what I did. I got paid really well to do it. I think it's a shame if you love cars to not find a way to stick around the business. Because let me let, you, let me let me let everybody in on the secret we've been talking about for a year. There's people paying big money for you to work for them. So to tell me I'm going to go to this other industry because they pay more, that isn't true. Not unless you're going into medical device sales or something that has a $350,000. I'm, I'm telling you, man, there are people in this industry paying really good money for you to work on cars in the detailing space. My company's one of them. My guys make a great living. Let me tell you something. They're extremely happy with the money they make. And, and here's where you, you're right that the trust issue's there. But remember, if you think this is just detailing... Every industry, doctors, dentists, lawyers, uh, lawyers especially, <laughs> uh, construction of all different sites, everybody has something going in their industry. I think if I were to give guys a, a real rude awakening is there's a lot of people that aren't going to make it in business, and you can make a lot of money being a really great employee for somebody and have a great life, a lot better than the owner probably has in a lot of cases. So to leave the industry, as, as Brian, our distributor, and I talked, it just doesn't make sense because the money's there. Now, I'm not going to say you're going to make a million dollars a year, but $70,000, dollars $100,000 a year is going on in this industry for valuable people. And, and we're saying that that's not worth your time. That, that's, that's pretty hard to believe, but it happens every day. Yeah. The, the guys that should be the best salesmen which you and I've talked about, right? The guys that should be the best salesmen should be detailers. They should, because they should know the ins and out. They should be the specialist in there goes back to that question though, that we talked about earlier is the skill set and is the skill of detailing actually valuable is paint correction. Is that skill set valuable? Here's the thing that the, the other dichotomy that you and I have started to really been peeking through as you and I talk about this is, is basically, there's becoming two types of people that we're seeing in the industry. 
right? Somebody that works in the industry, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're working in the industry and then somebody that's making money. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, you know. They it, work hey, in it or they live in it. Those are the yep. two. My bad. Yeah. Work and, in and it the, or they the, live in the, it. And those that live in it are the guys talking about how right they are in a, in a group. You know, all they do is, is tell everybody why they're right. Or they go on their TikTok and say, this is the right way to do things. You have to do it this way. If not, you're a hack and they're living in the industry. Those that work in the industry, they're in the industry with their eyes wide open. Where's the most money for me to make and support my family and grow as a professional. And those are, those are two very different people right? Those are two very different people. And a lot of people that quote unquote live in the industry and their whole life is, is about, you know, showing people the before and after of a paint correction, they're finding it hard to make it. And those that work in it, they show up, they do their job, they market, they sell, they get work. They're treating it as a nine to five gig. You know, a lot of those people are working Monday through Friday. A lot of the most reputable shops don't work Saturday and Sunday, truthfully, when they get established. They're they're working a normal schedule, and they're treating it like, I'm working in this thing. You don't find them in Facebook groups doing negative stuff. You don't find them barking about the right and wrong ways to do things. They're just working away. And, again, probably a lot of people that live in the industry are the ones that are finding it hard to go work for somebody. They're always trying to see the bad in the industry. They're always trying to, to, to talk in that way about the right and wrong things to do and right and wrong ways to, to correct paint or put PPF on or to do tint. And the guys that are working away, man, you don't hear very much from. They're, they're just treating it like it's the bank. You know, I show up, I go to bank, you know, I go to work. I, I love what I'm doing, but I just concentrate on the work day in and day out. It's a hard thing to do for a lot of guys. Yeah, it is. That's a hard thing to do. Staying focused and just working and going at it. But if you want to stay in it long term, if it wants to be something that you listen, you love car care. I, I think one of the funnest things for me lately, and this all I'll end it on this, and this is what's been interesting, is as I've talked about these different groups that I've gone into and starting to interact. One of the most interesting groups is a Forza group, the oh, Forza yeah. video game group on Facebook and seeing how many people interact, not just their life and what they enjoy about cars, but then it goes into their gaming life, how they then build out stuff in a game, how it just everything about their life becomes cars, right? Yeah. Everything just becomes cars, cars, cars. And you go, huh? Yeah. I think if that ultimately becomes some of the success in life that most of us want to fight, what can I do every day? Something that I enjoy. So yeah. Yeah. Great awesome. talk, man. Great discussion. All right. Talk hey, to you we'll see you next week. week. Hey community. I got to ask you this question. What's holding you back? What's holding you back from what you want to accomplish? Do you think of it? What do you want to accomplish? What is it that you're trying to do? Go to hypercleanstore.com. There's going to be a contact form, and I'm going to give you a challenge. All right, here's the challenge. I want you to tell us. That's an open-ended question with an open-ended finish for you. What is it you want to accomplish? What's holding you back?
how can we help? Hypercleanstore.com. Go now. Fill out the form. Let's have a discussion. This is Marshall. Whatever you do, make it a great day.